if we're being frank, a letter doesn't mean anything. Um, 200 kids are getting that same letter that you're getting. It's a, it's a very um, unique dance that colleges do with recruits, right? Number one, they want to see who's interested in their school, right? So you, you cast this wide net, and of the kids who are interested in your school, now you're going to choose who you're interested in. So it's this, it's this very interesting tango, right? They want to see who they can reel in, and then they want to see who they actually like and who they actually want. Making an Athlete, a show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. On this episode of Making an Athlete, we sit down with Trey Del Tolver, a former Division I football standout who played professionally both in the United and National Football Leagues. Tradell talks conviction and how that drove him to his ultimate goal of becoming a professional football player. He provides us a step-by-step approach to his recruiting process and the unique dance colleges do with recruits. Tradell Tilber, I appreciate you joining me today to talk about uh, collegiate athletics, specifically talking about football and uh, your journey to playing at Cal Poly. Um, just want to start off and give us a little bit of background, you know, uh, where you were born, uh, you know, talk about, uh, how you got started in football. Yeah, man. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. Um, love what you're doing and love being a part of it even more. So appreciate you. Appreciate you having me on, man. Um, back to me, I think I've been playing football for 15 years. Um, I'm from San Diego. I played on essentially every level at this point, Pop Warner, um, prep school, so high school, college, uh, and professional as well. I've also coached. Um, I've also trained and developed for like skills and speed, things like that. Um, Then I also do some analysis for football as well, (coughs) fantasy, professional, um, and betting too. So I've been around the game of football for a very long time. Um, Consider myself a fanatic. Um, really blessed and fortunate that I've got a chance to experience it from so many different facets and then also uh, so long, almost a decade and a half at this point, too. So um, that's what I am, football, football first and football in and out. All right. So we got a, a lot of avenues we'll get to touch on. You got the whole three, 360 view of, of football. Um, you know, where we'll start, where we uh, start a lot of times is just taking it back to when you were a kid. Uh, how did you get started at football? Was football the only sport straight up, or did you play other sports? Uh, take us back to you know when you were a kid and when you first picked up the football. Cool. I think we got to go back to at least first or second grade. Um, I had an older brother who was about seven years in front of me. He was already playing football uh, for Pop Warner, so I wanted to as well. Um, it was something that I was gravitated towards at a very young age but my, my parents didn't want me playing at that young because they thought I would get injured. So their plan was to hold me off from football as long as they could. Um, and then as I got a little older, as I got a little bigger, then allowed me to go in, um, but it didn't last too long. So I started playing when I was in fifth grade, uh, jumped into to Pop Warner again, for the most part, following after my, following after my brother's footsteps and, and trying to make a name for myself. So age of I don't know how old you are in fifth grade. Um, <laughs> right before middle school, that's when I started playing. 
All right. So, you know, older brother, uh, I was the older brother. I had a younger brother. Um, older brother was part of that influence. Uh, who, who is, uh, who is more talented? Um, I think I'm easily more talented just because I've done more with less. So I'm not a big guy. I'm five, nine, 170, 75 pounds. My brother is six, three, probably two thirty-five at this point. So, uh, <laughs> I definitely think I'm more talented. Uh, I did more with less, but he achieved a lot more than I did. So I have to give him his credit too. All right. Always fun to ask a sibling yeah, question. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll shoot you straight. See how people approach it. Not always the, uh, you know, on a previous podcast, I mentioned this about baseball. You're not a younger brother, but um, he, he always just picked up things quicker and was had more raw talent. Um, I had more of a high, a better work ethic that, you know, made more out of nothing. Fair, fair. But uh, he could, you know, he'd come over and say, yeah, show me how to throw that. I'll show it to him and he picked it up in a week and it took me a year. Uh, <laughs> it, it pissed me off. But uh, at the same time, um, you know, you're cheering for him. Yeah, because, man. Uh, that's your bro. So, um, all right. So, you know, Pop Warner, you know, Pop Warner is pretty, pretty interesting and, and football is interesting right now. Um, and, you know, always correct me if, if my uh, if my thought process is wrong. But, you know, you see with basketball, you see with baseball and a lot of sports, so you have AAU, you have travel ball. Football is still, you know, genuine, you know, Pop Warner high school. That's where you're being seen. Uh, a lot of other sports have kind of broken out to these travel teams. Sure. And, and sometimes high school becomes a, uh, you know, just a secondary fun thing to do. It's not really where you get seen by, by college scouts. Um, you know, is that still the case today? Pop Warner's the, the route? Yeah, I mean, Pop Warner is where it's going to begin. And then high school is pretty much very pivotal in where you go after high school and where your career takes you from there. Um, like you said, basketball, baseball, there's a lot of travel teams now. It's almost a supplement for the actual high school um, route. It's not that way for football yet. There are seven-on-seven seven tournaments and travel teams and leagues, but those don't take precedent over any high school seasons or any high school teams. It's more for exposure, I would say season prep, and then getting basically getting extra eyes on you outside of season. Uh, if you are a small school player or maybe you're somebody who doesn't have a bunch of recruiting stars, things like that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, Pop Warner in high school, that's, that's still bread and butter for football. Okay. Uh, going back to you, um, you know, you're playing Pop Warner. Uh, you say you, you left off around fifth grade. Um, Pop Warner kind of that goes to what, eighth grade? Pop Warner uh, goes, yep, all the way up to eighth grade. Hitting high school. Um, what, what, from that Pop Warner to high school transition, that's, there's a large drop off right there. Sure. Of people, you know, who, who've decided that they're not going to keep playing or they're going to keep playing. Um, what was that transition for you once you started, you know, freshman high school football? Uh, did your high school have freshman JV varsity or was it, how was it broken down? Yeah. So when I, when I got to ninth grade for San Diego, at least it was the first year they were going to do freshman football. Um, okay. So all high schools have JV and varsity. This was the first year for San Diego, at least that uh, freshman football was being introduced. So for me to be a part of that, um inauguration was number one super lucky on my part also super fortunate um i feel like freshman football is a little bit of a bridge between 
Pop Warner and JV. So the transition for me wasn't that hard. Like you said, we do lose a lot of people in that Pop Warner to, to high school stage because the intensity goes up, the commitment goes up, the violence goes up, the injury goes up, the dedication goes up. All these things really do kind of ratchet up as you head into high school. And a lot of people were playing Pop Warner because it was fun. They were playing because their parents right. wanted them to. Um, so that jump from eighth to ninth grade definitely does a good job of kind of like trimming the fat. Um, you really and you really do get a chance to to separate the people who really want to be there. Okay. And the side note that I want to add is just a uh, lot. You're California. I'm California. Mm-hmm. The way we talk, freshman JV varsity. Um, you know, at the time when we played, you didn't. If you were a freshman, you played freshman. If you were a sophomore, that was JV, and juniors and seniors played varsity. I know throughout the United States, a lot of states are different. Sure. Where maybe a senior and you're still on a JV team. Just it's more talent specific. Uh, in California at the time, it was um, specific towards the grade level you were in. So mm-hmm. you couldn't go play JV uh, if you were a junior or senior. Um, is that true for you to make sure? Yeah. So I think, I think for California football, it's almost the reverse of what you explained for other states. So um, freshmen, you should be in freshman league. Sophomore, right. you should be on JV, and then juniors and seniors are on varsity. Uh, the way California runs it for football is if you're a little bit more talented or you're, you're seeing success, you're a freshman, you can get pulled up to JV. If you're in JV, you can get pulled up to varsity as well. Uh, but for the most part, that's how they want to knife those three things up. Right. So I, on that part, yeah, so you, you can go up, but you can't go down. Yeah, not, not a lot of instances of people coming down. Yeah. So maybe it was, you know, if it was different the district, but I know in our district and other states, I've always, you know, baseball guys had talked about, oh, you know, there's juniors who played on the JV team and um, that was a little bit different, but uh, digressing there, um, just making that clear because sometimes you have a lot, a lot of these listeners are different parts of the the country, different, different rules for for each state or districts. Um, So, you know, you're going into freshman, freshman year, uh, you know, when, when did you know what position that you wanted to play? Um, when was that kind of, you know, seeing itself out that you're going to be a wide receiver or yeah. a DB? Yeah. Well, I think growing up, I was always a running back. Um, again, my brother was playing ahead of me and, and seeing a lot of success in high school and college. And again, I, I played running back for the majority of my upbringing. I played some quarterback and receiver too. Uh, my brother, who was playing in the same city to me, had just got moved from quarterback to receiver. And okay. so my high school coaches decided I was going to be a receiver as well. So huh. the, the choice was made for me. I, I personally always thought I was a running back. But moving into the, the competitive stages of football high school, I was immediately uh, thrown into wide receiver. I, I understand that feeling. I was, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was made a pitcher right away once I got, you know, a gross for Right, there was no- right. There's no swinging a bat after that. They said, uh, yeah, you, you just you hang out over there, shag balls and, and pitch. <laughs> decision made. So, you know, wide receiver going into high school. Um, when, when, when do you get that taste of, Hey, I want to play at the collegiate level. Yeah. Um, when does that happen? So for me, the conviction started before I even started playing in pop Warner. Um, if you asked me what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be as a kid, the answer was always, I wanted to play professional football. Um, so everything I did was with the thought of playing professional football in the back of my mind and whether it be pop Warner or college or um, high school, those were all just necessary steps. Those were all just the next step right. for me. But from the very beginning, I knew I wanted to play professional football 
And basically what that did for my mindset was it decided things for me. I had the conviction that I was going to play professional football. And so I already knew I had to work harder than the person next to me. I already knew I had to study harder than the person next to me. I knew I had to train near, uh, year round, things like that. I already had the, the beacon. I already had the goal in mind. And so everything in front of me was basically just steps. man. so uh, the transition from Pop Warner to high school wasn't incredibly challenging or daunting um, because my goal shot so far above that anyway that I knew it was just going to be part of the process. As, as, you know, as straight as it gets. Oh. And having that ultimate goal and small steps along the way. So, you know, you, you have this goal, um, you're going to play professional college is one of those steps. Um, you know, what year in high school is, is the recruiting starts? When, when do you get letters or when do you start talking to coaches? Um, not in general, sure. but just for you, just for you. Yeah. So I think football, I can be these days is probably as early as eighth grade. Uh, for me, I thought my process was late and I thought my process was slow. So I ended up changing schools my sophomore year or freshman year, actually, into freshman year, going to a team that was more running based. And again, I was playing receivers, so I wasn't really getting the balls. I wasn't really getting the looks. I was still undersized. Um, so I started to panic a little bit. Right. I think I'm behind on recruitment and exposure and, and production and things like that. Uh, but things really started to pick up for me, I would say, my junior year, right? I started getting letters from Colorado, San Diego State, Hawaii. Um, and so to me, I at least know that, hey, I'm on somebody's radar. Like somebody right. knows who I am, even if I'm not performing the way that I want to yet, even if I'm not achieving success the way that I'm looking for, at least I'm on a couple of people's rosters or a couple of people's uh, radars. And then so what's that feeling though? Like you're getting those first letters mm -hmm. like what, you know, what, what is, what are you going through at a young age when you first get those letters? Oh man, you're on top of the world. Um, <laughs> a big university that you see on TV that you see NFL players getting drafted from is reaching out to you, letting you know they're interested in you, letting you know they want you to come to their school. Um, let you know, they know who you are. It's, it's, it's pure jubilation. Uh, it's, it's, it's pure happiness. You don't really know what it means at that point, but it's, it's definitely nice. It's also validating, right? You're working hard, you're lifting weights, you're running all summer. Um, season hasn't started yet, or it has. And uh, a couple of colleges are letting you know that, hey, this can, this can be something that you do once you leave high school too. So it's, it's big. It's very validating. It can be a little intoxicating if you're getting a bunch of letters or if you're a huge recruit. Mm -hmm. It can, uh, I would say, misguide you. Yeah, <laughs> it, can, it can misguide you um, or it can motivate you. So for me, it was motivating. I wasn't expecting to get any attention that, that early on, or I was, and I didn't come. So when it did come, again, I was just grateful for it, for sure. All right. Um, now keep talking through that process. I kind of, you know, I, I had that question on the side there, but, uh, you know, you're, hit, you're getting those letters, sure. you know, what, what next yeah so you're getting those letters um there are periods of the season in which coaches can come to the school um they can talk to your coaches i think they can talk to you too watch workouts things like that so um that starts to happen letters come but at the same time coaches are making their way through different cities different schools they're stopping off at different high schools and they are taking a look at kids in person in, in, in 3d so um, they're coming to workouts, they're watching you condition, they're watching you lift, they're watching you practice and run routes and things like that. 
and you do have a very small chance to kind of talk to them and interact them as well. So it's one thing to get a letter. It's a whole other thing to have a coach show up to practice, mm-hmm. uh, watch your work, talk to you, inquire your coaches about your work ethic and integrity and skill set, things like that. Once somebody shows up to a workout, number one, oh, you're a different animal at that point. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to get tired. You're going to do the extra rep. You're going to put extra weight on things like that. It's basically a courting process for you. Right. Um, you're going to you're going to you're going to try to put your best foot forward while you have their attention in real life. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing. Um, you know, when, when young athletes that are that are looking to have to have an ultimate goal, or even parents out there, is understanding that there's a steps to the process. You know, letter, like you said, is a great thing. Mm-hmm. You know, pure jubilation. Um, but it, it's just the first step, and a lot of a lot of things. You know, get that letter, and people could say, hey, "I got it, man. This is it." But there's a lot more, a lot more to it, and you know, just the beginning. Yeah, just the beginning, and and you know, it's easy to say, "Hey, I got a letter from, uh, you know, University of Utah or Stanford," uh, and and it's great. It's a great you know first step, but you know, always trying to be real on the podcast and understanding this project yep. process is that you're not the only one getting a letter. Oh, like, no. you know, it's, it's easy to go to a printer. And they, you know, <laughs> they, they print out a lot of letters. It, you still are, you know, part of a small percentage, but that percentage is going to continue to get smaller until they make their offer. So understanding that, that, that letter is the first process. And then, like you said, you know, them showing up to practice and, you know, they've, they've condensed it down and that's a, a huge step towards uh, the next uh, steps, which, uh, I'm going to lead you right into those next steps right now. Sure, sure, sure. And, and like you said, with the letters, man, it's nice to get, but it's just the beginning. If we're being mm-hmm. frank, a letter doesn't mean anything. Um, right. 200 kids are getting that same letter that you're getting. It's a it's a very um, unique dance that colleges do with recruits, right? Number one, mm-hmm. they want to see who's interested in their school, right? So you you right. cast this wide net and of the kids who are interested in your school, now you're gonna choose who you're interested in. So it's this, right. it's this very interesting tango, right? They wanna see who they can reel in and then they wanna see who they actually like and who they actually want. Um, but yeah, outside of the, that next step or outside of that first step, which is getting a letter, is again, college is coming to take a look at you in real life, watching workouts, things like that. Um, and then from there, it is actual games, game film. Um, a lot of coaches will come out to a game and um, see how old player performs in real life and in-game scenarios, things like that. But for the most part, a lot of the college analysis and assessment part is just done through game film. Um, mm. A coach can learn a lot more about you by watching four of your game tapes than he can showing up to your big game Friday night for homecoming. So it's a, it's a good reference point. It's definitely not the biggest reference point in person recruiting. Um, it's just, uh, it's just a, an opportunity for you to kind of make a splash, uh, maybe, yeah. you know, build a network and show them that, Hey, you can play, but ultimately your game film is going to say a lot about, uh, what happens to you. And football, I mean, you, you know, this is not baseball, it's not basketball where you have so many more games, you know, football, um, and it, like we, we talked about earlier, you have your high school games. It's not, they can't come check you out on your travel football team, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, maybe there's some, you know, seven on seven and, and there are, uh, you know, ways to do that there, but it's still not, you know, the, the full uh, football team on the field. So 
four games is a lot. You know, that's that's over what twenty five. I actually don't know off the top of my head how many high school games are played. Uh, you just you know, get about ten. Ten, so that's almost fifty percent of your games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for baseball or high school baseball, that's you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen games uh, as the equivalent. So, uh, you know, to your point four games it makes sense you know they're they're looking at that game film they can't be there at all four games because they're 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 making their visits bingo uh bingo so you know with 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 game film or um was that you know did you get that to the coaches or did your coaches get that your high school coaches get to the colleges how how did that it's tough man um in high school the film isn't like you're not the one filming um so you're most likely not in control right maybe your parents filming but not many mothers or fathers are going to be queuing up 10 games of game film for you. They're going to be watching the game. So the f- they want to put on mute yeah, bingo. <laughs> so the, the, the film comes from the coaches. The coaches for the most part have somewhat of a monopoly on the, the film that's going to be used to send out to different colleges and stuff. And so you do run it, you do run into a lot of issues with um, kids not being able to get their film or kids not being able to get their film cut up, right? So it's a lot of work for a high school coach to cut up games into offense defense or cut up games into one player and, and, and dig out their, their special plays from the season. Um, it's a lot of work for somebody who it's not their job for the most part, right? A high school coach is there to develop you and, and win games for the high school. After you leave, after you leave his high school, he doesn't really have hands on you. So if he's taking the time to, to cut those things up for you, hey, it's great, it's fortunate, but it, it's not always the case. It can be an issue. Um, it is something to to keep an eye on for sure. Okay. So these films, you know, you figured out a way um, or you have a coach that's, that's you know, stepped up yeah. and, and, and hide some of that film, um, that collegiate uh, coach or recruiter, they have that film, um, they watch it, and then now comes that next step. Bingo. So they had that film. Um, and, and nowadays it's a little easier. You have these online uh, platforms where, you know, all kids can log in and grab their game film and cut it up how they want to. So that is a little more fortunate. Uh, it's, it's better than the way you and I had it. Um, but yeah. in, <laughs> in terms of next steps, right, you, you play through your seasons, you have your film, a college decides they're interested in you or a coach decides they're interested in you. Um, basically the, the bridge between the bridge comes at the end of your junior year, right? So if you can have a standout junior year, coaches now have an eye on you for your senior year. It's really hard to show up on radar just your senior year. So um, right. one thing for kids who maybe don't have as much hype, or as much stars is you do get to attend camps between your junior and your senior year. So this is a place where you can go run the 40, you can do the bench, you can do seven on seven coaches can or colleges can get their own film on you from their own or activities which is usually their camps and it's a good way to say hey i've now dotted these three players in southern california i'm gonna send my coaches to go watch them play three games for the next coming season so that's that's really a a, a big part of it too um and then so let's go camps, ahead. So we're, we're, these camps um what camps should i look out for if i'm a parent if i'm, a, I'm an athlete you know Camps, and this is a big topic, you know, that I like to talk about on this podcast when I have guests is camps can mean a lot of things. There's camps that's basically a summer daycare. Um, and, you know, you're paying money for an experience. It's right. not really explicit. Right. It's just, hey, get rid of my kid for a week. Um, and then there's camps that, you know, are the 
the ones that we want to find is where can I actually get visibility? Where can I get in front of a coach? So for football, what should I be looking for in a camp that you're talking about here? So for the most part, it's camps thrown by colleges. Um, on site at their college? On site at their college. So Stanford runs a camp. USC runs a camp. I know Princeton or the uh, Ivy League, I think, runs a group camp. Um, okay. So that's a couple of schools putting it together and, and having kids come through. But anything that's hosted by a college, anything that is on site are camps that you want to be a part of. There's a lot of other camps who I don't want to say don't have value. Um, but again, it can be a NFL player throwing a camp. It could be uh, a company throwing a camp, things like that. And those are going to be more focused towards they're going to be more company focused, right? So whoever's throwing the camp is the one seeing the benefit from it. So yeah, it may just end up being a, a weekday care for you or a, uh, uh, an article headline or an Instagram post for the athlete who is throwing the camp or trying to put it on for his community. Uh, there's no guarantee that he has connections with any colleges or that any scouts show up or anything like that. So I would definitely say the, the ones thrown by the colleges are the ones to focus on, right? Um, those are the, the, the targeted eyes for you. And then the other ones, I would say, take them for what they are, which is an experience. Um, yeah, experience and maybe just a little bit of inspiration. Bingo. You, know, you see an NFL player, he's throwing this and that's the ultimate goal. Um, great, great little inspiration there to, to work hard. Uh, is there like uh, showcase camps at all? You know, baseball, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of camp, there's showcase camps um, where, you know, you invite a pool of players that are talented out. Is that the same for football or is it like you just said, is it pretty just standard that it's that, that college that hosts it? So there are showcase camps. The Nike camp stands out to me the most. I'm not sure what they've been up to these days, but it's basically an elite yeah. camp who you can get invited to or you can pay your way into. Don't quote me on that. Um, but basically what it's sold as is the best recruits from around the nation get a chance to come and compete together in front of lots of scouts and lots of eyes. So um, the biggest showcase camp that I know of right now is definitely Nike camp. And I'm not sure okay. where they're having it that day or these days, but it's been USC, it's been in Oregon. Um, I think it rotates okay. a little bit. Yeah, Oregon makes sense. Uh, pretty easy for Nike, but you uh, so, you know, okay. So you have these camps that, you know, for those, those, those late um, players that may not have signed somewhere mm -hmm. between junior and senior year, maybe get extra visibility. Um, you know, for you, had you signed by junior year or did, was it senior year? I know you kind of said you were a little bit uh, as a slower process and, mm -hmm. and later. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a yeah, more delayed process for me. I didn't have anywhere signed or offers going into my senior year. I had switched schools twice at this point. Um, so for me, it was going to be it was going to be the back door, man. It was going to be good old brick and mortar route. So I, I went into my senior year, uh, played the best I could, performed to the best of my ability. And then my recruitment started after the season ended. So we're looking at a window between November and January. I believe signing day is in either February or March um, okay. or the, the end of it is in February or March. Um, but I, I put my, I put my, my uh, performance on film and then I had to get it cut up, send those tapes out to scouts and friends, yada, 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 and then see what I could hook in uh, between those two or three months. Okay, so when that happened, you know, how did you ultimately uh, end up at Cal Poly? Tell funny story actually. Um, with the with the tape that I got out and with my brother's help and his agent, 
because uh, he was playing professional at this point with his help as well because agents have connections to colleges yada yada, yada. um anyways uh i was on the radar for san diego state uh okay. norfolk state hawaii and fiu um so i thought i was going to go one of those places i was basically thinking that um i would end up i would end up uh in one of those in one of those organizations and then after my senior year of high school um actually ended up in a traumatic event right had to get surgery on my face and nasal cavity and things like that and then i actually ended up losing um a lot of attention and a, a lot of courtship that i was getting at that time so uh post-surgery and post-healing and things like that i was out of ideas i didn't know what i had left to me yeah. um san diego state wanted to gray shirt me which basically means we send you to junior college for half a year you then come in to uh, the college as a red shirt and you're looking at a six-year process um okay. so it, it definitely wasn't ideal it wasn't what i wanted yeah. to hear at, at age 17. um yeah gray shirt that's, I mean, that's we a lot of times when people are familiar with red shirt but gray shirt yeah, yeah. you know as a 17 like you said as a 17 year old and this is funny because a lot of you know red shirting has been a, hot, a big topic that we talk about and a gray shirt uh, like you just explained it um for 17 year olds that's like you don't want to you want to keep playing oh, like yeah. you don't that's a death sentence it's kind of yeah you make it it makes it feel like you're not good enough even though you know I, I would say for me redshirting was the biggest benefit because i i grew three inches and i gained 30 Bingo. pounds and I gained five you know miles of velocity as a pitcher um so you know they wanted to gray shirt you uh and you were like no not for me yeah no definitely not for me i i thought i needed to play right now again i had these goals so you know i did not want a gray shirt i didn't want to start at junior college either um but as a young kid you don't know these things you don't have the perspective um you think the quick opportunity is the opportunity and in reality there's a lot of ways to go so um that was the best offer that i had on the table i didn't know what i was going to do and then basically in the 11th hour uh cal poly reached out to me i didn't know what cal poly was or, or where it was or anything like that um but they cal poly san luis obispo cal poly san luis obispo correct um but they reached out to me let me know that that they were interested and invited me to come on a trip uh, for somebody who didn't have the options I thought I would. Of, of course I went. So um, that official, yeah. official, an official. I took an official trip to Cal Poly at the beginning of my senior year, uh, maybe a couple of months into that second semester. Um, so that process is cool, right? You right. visit the college, you get linked up with a current student athlete on the team. They take you through a lot of the like restaurants, weight room, uh, locker room, stadium, things like that. You get a chance to meet a bunch of the coaches. You get a chance to meet a lot of the staff and, and personnel, things like that. Um, it's for a weekend or at least two days. So you even get a chance to go and hang out with the, the athlete that you're linked up with, if that's something that you guys want to do as well. So you really do get a chance to check out the university you get a small opportunity to check out the culture as well, uh, but you get to check out the provisions and the locker rooms, things like that as well. All right. So Cal Poly, they bring you out. Uh, you come away from that trip. You know, what's what's that period of you saying, yeah, this is where I want to play? And, and then Cal Poly, you know, inking it and making it final. Yeah. So I made my, my official visit 
for the weekend. I loved what I saw. Um, beautiful campus, beautiful city, maybe five hours from home. So just far enough to get away from the parents. Um, <laughs> and then uh, actually by the end of that trip, my last day, my morning breakfast, they, they made the offer to me on site, um, oh, wow. <laughs> which is very smart. Uh, yeah. Again, now, very, did, you make your choice? did you make your choice there? I, I mean, you're, I are your parents there with you or not? They are there with me. Um, okay. So it's not like I got put in a, a back room and handed a pen. Um, <laughs> I got a chance to meet with the head coach at the time, Coach Rich Ellison. My parents were there with me as well. They, they made the offer. Um, and then am I able to talk to my parents? It's not a high pressure situation or anything like that. But it was something that I wanted to do. It was something that I endorsed. So it was pretty low pressure for me. And I went ahead okay. and signed at the end of my trip. Ah, but uh, that's a great, that's a great visit. Great visit. You know, great visit. Right away. Man. Uh, uh, you know, talking about parents, what, during this whole process, what, what, what are your, you know, what are your parents doing in terms of uh, advising you or what, how much of this choice is you and how much of this is a parent helping? It's almost the first big decision you get to make as a full adult right so um ultimately your parents are going to have some some saying it my parents didn't want me to leave california they didn't want me to be too far but i just wanted the best playing opportunity so right. uh it was kind of like they hand me the wheel and then they have the emergency wheel the student driver wheel over on their side as well <laughs> so they wanted me to focus on education and go somewhere where i could flourish as an adult not just a football player but right. a student um cal poly checked all the boxes for both of those things so it was a pretty easy uh situation and a pretty pretty easy conversation for us um okay. ultimately if they didn't want me to go i probably wouldn't have been able to go uh but, but yeah yeah but it worked out again i'm a 17 year old kid uh, it's true it's true i you know i always um well i was a juco guy um but i got a scholarship offer uh, scholarship i went on scholarship at University of Pacific and my sister had actually gone there and I was sore to myself. I said, I'm never going to this college. It's, it's only an hour and a half away from home and I want to be farther. Um, you know, I wanted to go just to some big football school in the South. Um, but ultimately the scholarship and, and, you know, the parents saying, Hey, like, you know, see how much coverage uh, oh, yeah. this has on finances oh, that, yeah. that drove in. They were a division one and, and, you know, a great, a great school to play baseball and never, never a top school because it was, you know, you got the Fullertons and the Irvines, but it, it was still a decision I made, um, you know, unfortunately still too close to home and, and EOP had a great football stadium that no football team played in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so for, you know, for you, um, you know, the parents that, that makes perfect sense. And, and, and you know, uh, and it's not the same for everybody. You know, there's a lot of, uh, it just depends on dynamic. For sure. Uh, academically, uh, what, you know, what did you prepare, um, because for division one, there, there's, you know, academics need to be in place, um, to make it a smoother transition. Um, academically, you, know, you, you led with this in the beginning, you said, I worked hard on my academics, you know, what kind of GPA were you coming out of high school? Um, and that made it where D one can make that offer and, and not have to worry. Bingo. Um, and, uh, of course, at the end of the day, academics play a huge part, probably 50% of how your how your sports journey is going to go so uh from a young age my parents instilled me in that they told me it was part of the process uh i had to get dinged over the head a couple of times before i figured it out so uh i would say my my freshman year was not good 
uh, sophomore year, I turned it around. Junior year was great. And then senior year, I, I basically just kept up the momentum. So I finished, I finished probably right under a 3.0, probably 2.85 or something like that. Um, but had a couple of strong 3.0, 3.4 quarters or semesters my last couple of years that I could build on. Um, okay. And so number one, you got to be above the 2.0. Um, right. That's a no-brainer. The closer you are to 3.0, the easier it is for colleges to, to get to you. And then anything over 3.0, 3.5, oh, now you're a, you're, <laughs> you're easy, right? You're a, you're, a, you're a scholar athlete, which is exactly what you're supposed to be. You're finding success in both. And that makes you a, a sexier prospect for colleges. They know they're getting a young man or young woman who has their head on right and is willing to work in the classroom and not just on the field. So for me, it took me a second to, to learn and to figure it out. But again, I think I was pushing pretty close to a 3.0 by the time I finished. And so um, school wasn't a issue. It was an obstacle. Cal Poly is a very prestigious academic university. And with those higher academic universities, the Stanford's, the Notre Dame's, they're going to require you to not just have a 2.0, right? They want you to excel. Right. You need to be over a 3.5 or, or whatever it is. And, and they pick their athletes from that. So Cal Poly is a very prestigious university. They have a, a, a rigorous academic requirement set as well. Um, but with my GPA and with my SATs, I was able to pass that bar and get in there. So it alleviated a lot of the issues that I've seen a lot of my friends and teammates have um, at that part of the process. So you you you've got everything you know set up, good to go. Uh, you make your you signed mm -hmm. um, grades are in place. Parents approve. Uh, you know they can still keep their rain on you. You're five hours away. Um, your first year. Uh, what what is your first year like? Because that you know that freshman year is is a big eye opener for a lot of yep. people. You know you're coming out. You are the guy or one of the, the top guys on your high school football team. Um, now you're coming into a place uh, where you are starting over. You're the freshman. There's other guys ahead of you. What's that like? It's brutal. Um, if you think the transition from eighth grade to high school is scary or eye-opening, this is easily twice as worst. Uh, I'm a 17-year-old kid, right? One of the best players on my high school team. Got some buzz in my city. I really think I am something. Um, and then I get to high school and it's like, you are at the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, I remember one thing specifically football wise, because football is like a little bit different, right? It's a, it's a contact sport. It's very physical. Um, I, show up to, I show up to football and I'm in camp and guys in my room are 21 years old. They're 22. They got, they got full beards. Like these are, <laughs> for the most part, these are men. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still growing. So from a size standpoint, these guys are way bigger than me. Speed standpoint, technique and all that. They've had the time in the weight room. They've had the, the extra coaching on the field. They are miles ahead of me. Uh, but one of the things that they kind of worked out in my favor was my expectations. I didn't show up. I didn't show up ready to, to start on day one. I knew I was getting reassured. Um, I knew I needed to gain more weight. I knew that I needed to get to gain more skills to compete. It's just that I was willing to do the work and I was willing to take the time. So um, I think my, my first week in camp, there was a uh, starters versus starters scrimmage. They immediately get into a fight and high school, anywhere else. Hey, I'm like, I'm, I'm down to rumble a little bit. 
And me and the other freshmen did not take one foot off the sideline to, to enter that battle, man. Like these are these are grown men. We wanted no part of, of any of that. So like to me, that was really humbling, really grounding. I knew I wasn't yeah. there yet. I knew I hadn't arrived at that point. So I just yeah. got to stay out of the way, man, for sure. There's no way. That, I mean, yeah, to your point, man, that's, you know, you look at, okay, how many uh, well, NBA has kind of, you know, gone back and forth. Sure. But how many professional leagues can you draft a guy out of high school? Um, you know, baseball, uh, basketball, um, you know, several, several others, but football, you know, you're not, like you just said, you're, you're still a boy coming yep. out of there. And, you know, if you placed, uh, you know, 17 year old trade out in the NFL, uh, right now, um, oh. you know, it's going to be a short, 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 short career. Very short, very painful uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that, that growing period is, is so important. Um, in, in that transition period, um, you know, I was a baseball player where I just stood on, you know, one, one dirt spot and 30 pounds and three inches did, you know, wonders for me. But I imagine in, in football, that weight gain and the height's not necessarily as it could be. I mean, it's just important, but not as, I was a pitcher. So height, you know, pitchers are um, most often taller. Uh, but like that, that football gain, redshirting, that's why you see Red shirts are, are significant in the football world. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you, you redshirt your freshman year, or you get a feel for the program. Um, entering that sophomore year now, uh, that level of, you know, competitiveness, now you're going for that starting spot. Um, you're a wide receiver at this point, or are you still playing multiple positions? Wide receiver. Wide receiver. Okay, so how many – in football, what would you say is how many – wide receiver positions and it could, I guess, different offensive sure. schemes, um, generally average, how many open three. slots would be sorry, you, three. Should, you should have three receiver positions for the most part, maybe four, but for the most part, three. And you have wide receiver one, two, three. Mm -hmm. Um, and so how many wide receivers on a roster? So three, three wide receiver positions, probably three or four depth per one. So between nine to 12, so you got you got some competition. You got a lot of competition. Um, yeah, it's competition for reps. It's competition for tape. It's competition for your coach's attention. Um, but yeah, the twelve-person room is very crowded, and there's not enough to go around. Yeah. So I mean, I, football's got to be hard. I mean, getting that, like you said, that uh, that attention of a coach. You know, I was a I was a pitcher, so they had to look at me yep. every single pitch. Um, you know, maybe a little more difficult for a position player, but they still get their ABs, you know, multiple ABs a game um, if they're if they're given those ABs. But, uh, you know, going to sophomore year, um, you know, you, you make that transition. So, you know, what is that experience like? You're now playing games. Um, you guys are FBS, right? Yep. Cal Poly. What, what, what's your league? Uh, so Big Sky. When I was there, they're in Great West. Now they're in the Big Sky. Okay. All right. So what's that, um, that, that experience now at the college level, you're yeah. out there. So like you said, you, you basically get a year as a red shirt to calibrate, learn the plays, learn the system, um, gain some weight, get faster, all that type of stuff. And then coming into your red shirt freshman year, which is your sophomore year, I think, uh, where your, your first eligible year to play is like, Hey, the halo's coming off. Um, <laughs> Not only are you no longer this player who isn't eligible to play, now you're somebody who has to compete, 
the, the halo comes off. There is no special circumstance for you. You're, you're thrown into general population. So um, it, it's, it's tough, but it, it doesn't start when season starts. It starts as soon as last season is over. So mm-hmm. coming out of redshirt year, right, I finished my, my year's redshirt. I continue lifting, continue working out, continue getting extra work with quarterbacks, things like that basically set myself to put myself in the put myself in the most opportune place of success coming into my redshirt sophomore year. Uh, but now everything's live. You're playing in every scrimmage. Right. Um, you, you can't miss plays. You can't miss assignments or, or things like that. The pressure does ratchet up. Now you feel like an actual college football player and not everybody's little brother. Um, so <laughs> the person that was teaching you six months ago is now competing with you. So, uh, the di- yeah, the dynamics change. They change really fast, right? Everything is now you're now you're part of those fights. Bingo. Now, you're of those <laughs> now you're starting those fights. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's about making a name for yourself at that point, right. and then also establishing some consistency in the process. Not only do I want the respect of my coach, I want the respect of those guys in the receiver room. I want the respect of those guys that I'm playing against um, in the defensive room as well. So the dynamic flips things get very fast mistakes get um very valuable uh before the most part like i said you're you're inserting yourself in a general population not to uh fast forward through you know all those years that you got to play but um your ultimate goal you know was professional football and uh, you know you, you play out your five years uh at cal poly and then um you played professional football Mm -hmm. um what was what was that you know that now you're part of the very, very you know, microscopic percentage that's able to carry on that post-collegiate career, um, especially in, in football, which is, is, is very hard to do. Uh, you know, people, you know, baseball ultimately is one of the, I won't say it's the easiest, it's the easiest, hardest, but you just have a lot more draft uh, chances um, aside from this COVID year. It makes sense. But, you know, for, for you, how did that opportunity come about to become you know going to the professional level yeah so for me uh and just to, to back up your stats i think three percent of college football players play professional football so it's it's a grind um yeah. it's a very small percentage of players who, who get that opportunity i would say my journey started my my junior year in college is when okay. i'm able to put valuable i'm able to put good tape on film against elite opponents so your wisconsin's your San Diego States, um, your San Jose States, right? From a small school, I get a chance to play big schools and I get a chance to show that I can compete and I can win successfully against them. So um, that started about my my junior year. Senior year, I just kept the momentum going, right? Uh, keep obtaining success, keep putting more, more things on film. And then immediately after my senior season, I get an agent, uh, which was a pretty easy process for me. Luckily, I had some connections, my brother and all that good stuff. Um, and then from there, my agent introduces you basically into a, a draft class. So it's his 12 kids from a kid's country that he believes in, that he's going to bring on board. Uh, he sends them off to train together um, okay. at one of these, what we call draft prep places, pro prep places. Um, and from there, it is more intense than anything you've probably done in college or high school. Um, It's you now fine tuning your body and putting yourself in the best possible shape you can to 
compete at the combine, compete at pro day, compete at all-star games, and basically establish yourself in and stand out against the elite of the elite of the elite before the NFL draft begins and tryouts begin, things like that. All right. What was that experience like, man? Amazing. Um, yeah. My agent moved me down to Oceanside uh, with another, I think, 14 or 16 kids. It was a kid named Ian Johnson who had like won an orange bowl on TV and proposed to his girlfriend in the end zone. This guy was my roommate. Um, and so I, I, I knew I was a good football player. I always knew I was a good football player, but now I'm playing against, or now I'm hanging out with kids who are playing in front of a hundred, hundred thousand dollar, I'm sorry, hundred thousand people stadiums, um, on TV that I watch in my downtime. Yeah. And so now I get to, I get to bunk up next to these kids. I get to compete with them daily. Um, our food is taken care of our mm-hmm training and, and and transportation and housing are taken care of because at this point you're no longer a um, amateur right yeah. um right. and so now you're now you're getting ready for the big time your eligibility is up for me it was eye-opening again right it's another level right. of talent that i wasn't used to seeing every day and then it's also confidence giving because i know day in and day out i was beating these guys i was competing with these guys um that i may be watching on tv and so for me it was it was a chance to get confidence and it was a chance to become a professional uh from the way i studied to the way i slept to the way i ate to the way i took care of my body um everything was with a purpose and you have a very short two three months to get this done um and so again you you learn how to be a professional you learn how to attack things from a, a very pragmatic and intentional route because now people are spending money on you and if people are spending money on you you got to make sure you can you can get them a return yeah. on their investment so what was your return on investment um so for me uh i think my agent gets three percent of whatever i sign right so i just think ultimately your how to pan out yeah you, you don't get yeah got you got you yeah. now it ended up pretty well man uh directly after college i got invited to cleveland with the browns um, spent a little bit of time there competing with other rookies and young players like that, um, but ultimately was let go that summer. So from there, right, had my shot at the NFL, didn't land, and then from there I needed to hit the tryout circuit, right? So Canadian football tryouts, indoor football league tryouts, um, other professional team tryouts, the UFL. I basically ran the gauntlet, got a couple of offers in Canada, an arena which I ultimately turned down and then because I, I knew I was kind of putting out the performance that I needed and then ended up signing a contract with the United Football League which also this was their inaugural year as I had just gotten there and I ended up playing with the, uh, the California Redwoods. Okay where were they based out of? They were based they were supposed to be based out of Sacramento but we were sitting in Castle Grand Arizona at the time. All right well I would have seen you if it was Sacramento. <laughs> uh, that was uh, was that the year that there was um this is a random I always remember younger the uh, Denzel Washington's J D Washington was on my team he was, was uh, he? Okay. he was one of our running backs and uh, another one of my kick returners so uh, <laughs> great guy very funny but yeah he was actually on my team that's uh, yeah so I remember I remember reading the headlines when I was a little bit younger I mean uh, oh Denzel Washington so <laughs> you know you know for 
Or what did you say his name was JD? JD, JD Washington. Or JD, you know, you don't want to, you want to be JD, you don't want to be Denzel's son. Um, but all right, so, you know, your professional career, um, you know, that comes to an end and now you've transitioned into the coaching yeah. aspects. Um, you know, we, we, as a coach, um, where do you, where do you start that coaching career? And, you know, we're going to start, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, from that flip side, from the outside looking in as a coach. For sure. Um, how's that? For sure. So what I, what I did was, uh, this was in between, I had been released from the Browns and starting with the United Football League. So in the meantime, I went down to Orange County. My older brother was a head football coach at Sage Hill in uh, Newport Beach. Um, and he was like, hey, why don't you come down here while you figure things out? And so while I was down there, I was really just helping out, right? Uh, helping him coach, helping set up the field, things like that. But I was also using his facilities to train myself and stay in shape. So <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a win-win all around. Um, and basically what happened was while I was playing, I would go play professional football. Uh, if I got cut or the season ended or whatever, I would come back to Orange County and Sage Hill and I would coach along with my brother. So it was a process that was very fluid. It was really never ending for the most part. Um, okay. I coached when I was there. I, I, I played when I wasn't there, um, but I was always contributing in some form of fashion. Uh, and so it was helpful for me. It was really cathartic, right? Um, a lot right. of people, when their careers end, they're really bitter with how it ended. They're, they're, they're sour with the sport. For me to go directly from coaching, or I'm sorry, from playing back into coaching, I immediately got the feedback that my body and my mind needed. I knew what I okay. missed. And then I also had a, a vantage point of things that I did not miss every single day. Um, if I was conditioning kids or, or make them run sprints or stairs or, or bear crawls, I'm like, damn, like I really don't miss that part. My body, <laughs> my body couldn't do this again. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I got the excitement of the Friday nights, got to see these kids play and excel and uh, be filled up with momentum. I basically got a chance to look at football from a different perspective than I ever had. Mm -hmm. um, and I could apply my feedback and my knowledge and my acumen to these kids that were doing it in real time. But I had a larger perspective to help them out even more than I had because I was only a player up to that point. Okay. So if you had to say, you know, with one thing looking back, you know, coming out of that transition as a coach mm -hmm. um, and a player and then, you know, kind of a hybrid doing both at the same time, um, your coach and you're looking back and you're like, Hey, I know like, you know, okay, Hey, I don't want to do a bear crawl, but, um, I, I see this perspective that I didn't see through a player's lens. What, what, I mean, just one big takeaway. You don't have to. The biggest takeaway for me, um, is honestly like the mental part of the game. When I got a chance to coach, I got a macro view on the game that I had loved and played with a micro lens. Um, so you see that it's not just about you. It's about the other 56 guys on the team. It's about the coaches who are getting paid and need to be successful and only have so much time. Basically, you get to see the, you get to see the game ran as a business. You get to see the game ran as a machine, whereas a player, you can really only see it from your perspective and your wants and your desires and your needs. Right. So um, I took my, my, my COG experience. I was able to be cast a macro view able to see the game as um not just a coach but an overseer uh for the most part like as a as a business all right that makes perfect sense um you know retrospectively looking back and this is something um you know setting 
football aside, the, the, the sport aside, but retrospectively, um, you know, your, your, your journey as, you know, from San Diego mm -hmm. as an African-American man, um, you know, San Diego to Cal Poly, um, what, what was that experience like? Um, you know, I'm, I can only wish I lived in San Diego, but I don't know what the demographics of San Diego are. Um, so what was that like, you know, going, um, from a, I don't know your, your exact area sure. that you grew up in, um, but the transition a lot of times to the university level is it's either predominantly um, Caucasian or predominantly um, Asian as well. So want to know a little bit more about that experience retrospectively looking back um, what it was like. Yeah, and that, that's a big part of it too. Um, San Diego can be very diverse depending on where you are. Um, mm -hmm. I had a chance to go to more than one high school. So one was very diverse. One was not at all. It was predominantly white. Um, Which one was first or second? The first one was the Mira Mesa High School, very diverse. The second high school is Rancho Bernardo High School, is predominantly white. Uh, so what was that? That when you when you made that transition, what was the biggest? Uh, I mean, you you feel you feel it for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm the only black kid in my class, if I am one of two black kids on a whole football team. You, you, you feel that if that's something that you haven't grown up with. And so um, you're, you're definitely uncomfortable. You're definitely looking for ways to not really fit in, but to feel a part of what it is that you're a part of, right? Do these people accept me? Do they see me as different? Do I see them as different? You, you wanna know what that, what that comfort level is like. So it was a learning curve for me and not always great, but I got the reps, right? I, I, I learned how to survive and how to move in a predominantly white uh, situation. And so when I went to college at Cal Poly, which is 0.7% black at the time in which I go, even though it's 15 times bigger than the high school I was at. So when you say that 0.7%, how much of that is actually probably going to be football players or other? Of the 0.7% of the uh, that are athletics, probably 80%. <laughs> probably 80 percent so yeah. the um the football team the the sports teams are a little more diverse that felt more like a microcosm of diversity okay. to me but the, the campus the schooling the city absolutely did not luckily i had my experience from rancho bernardo to kind of help me transition into that but as an adult it's different than it is as a kid it's different than it is as a minor and so you have to learn all over again um how to act, where you're accepted, what to be aware of, um, how to read people, things like that. Because it, it, it's tough, man. Being in San Luis Obispo, it, predominantly white, uh, predominantly senior town as well. Uh, it's just, it's, it's not home. And it's, right. it's, not, it's not what I'm used to. So, Right. And I, I can imagine that, you know, if I, I didn't go to Cal Poly, but that, the experience would be different for me versus you. Because I'm, the only thing I'm trying to read is if the coach likes me or not. <laughs> um, and to add on top of that and have other things that I need to, to worry about, yeah. Um, yeah. just adds more anxiety and, and stress to um, your, I mean, you're just, you're there as academics and athletics and, and to add on top of that, um, can't imagine the difficulty. Um, so, you know, going, going from that experience um, now for you, you know, you're, you're successful, um, you know, in the tech world in uh, Silicon Valley. Um, I'll leave it up to you to talk about where you want to work or if you, or where you are working or not, I'll leave that out. 
um, but great company, one of the top companies in the world. Um, you know, how, how's that transitioned into um, work life? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think one of the biggest part, again, of sports for me has been um, exposure and mindset and mentality. Um, I've had exposure to a ton of diversity, not just hanging out with somebody or sitting next to somebody, but actually bleeding next to them, right? Sweating next to them, working hard next to them, watching somebody cry, fighting with them, things like that. And so I get a very hands-on approach to diversity at a very young age. I'm used to it. I crave it. Um, I learn empathy, things like that. And that, that really does carry me as I move out of the sports world and into the professional setting, into the corporate setting, into to technical space, right? I, I know how to maneuver. Um, I feel more comfortable than I probably would if I hadn't played sports in uh, cultural settings that uh, are predominantly white or not so diverse and things like that. I, so number one, it gives me the exposure that I needed, right? Uh, me walking into the tech world wasn't, wasn't the first time that I've ever been somewhere that isn't culturally diverse. So sports helped me there. Um, and then the other thing I was saying was the mindset mentality, right? I, I want my work to speak for me. As an athlete, I want my talent to speak for me. I want my hard work to speak for me. As an employee, as a professional, I want my work to speak for me as well. Um, so I want to be successful. I want to work hard. I want to put good work on the table, and I want to be judged for that. Um, if I'm ever in a situation where I'm not, then number one, I can recognize it. Uh, right. But number two, it's not what I'm striving for to happen. So I, I want my work to speak for itself. I don't want my, you know, race, color, or creed to, to play a part in what happens to me. And so I operate in which way, and, uh, I, you know, I try not to let that happen. So right now, like you said, transitioning in tech, I'm, I'm working for tech recruiting at Google. I've been here for almost three years. Um, luckily, it's a, it's a company that does put a lot of calories and emphasis into diversity and equality and things like that. Um, but the industry itself uh, for the most part, is very white and very Asian. Um, and so it, it is something that, you know, draws on you and, and you do notice, right? You're wondering why other people aren't getting the opportunities or the, the same, you know, foot up or, or whatever it is. And then so I, I try to be very diverse in how I recruit, where I recruit, not just big schools, not just small schools, things like that, just to make sure that, that everybody is getting their, getting their shot too. And this is something that, you know, beautifully said first of all um but that education needs to continue around um uh, you know more for the um the more representative uh and i know there's um you know like you said in the tech world uh largely um okay white and asian it makes up a large percentage um but continued education um for you know people like me sure. white guy to understand um and, and, you know, understand that the, the path, uh, you know, to where I am today um, in my career um, may be different than the, you know, guy in a similar position. Right. Uh, you know, that's African-American and, and, you know, may have been a, uh, a tougher road um, just because of, you know, color of my skin. So that's stuff that, you know, it needs to be um, better understood by those out there that don't um, and that, you know, uh, take a blind eye to it, but uh, continue to get to where you're talking about where, you know, we can have uh, equal representation Bingo. Uh, across the board and um, it's based on merit and, you know, um, 
talent and and not just because of the color of someone's skin bingo 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 uh, but a lot more you know that this this discussion can uh be around there's a lot more to um, talk about it uh gonna bring it back to sports not to say that this isn't important um but bringing it back uh to you know your career and what you know how it got to you to where you are today um you know in the end of the conversation always just want to have an open-ended question and say hey if there's looking back on your your career where you are today what's the biggest advice that you would give someone that you know has that professional football dream i would say uh number one you you need to have conviction right i made it as far as i did because i always thought i would make it as far as i did um professional football was my goal it was my driving force it was my it was my my anchor it was my lighthouse um so when things got hard or when i failed or, or when i was led astray the thing that always pulled me back up to my feet was the fact that hey i have this goal in mind and it's what i'm working towards so this failure can't this failure can't define me or i can't stop here or i can't quit here um that goal did so much in helping me get up early in the morning it is so much and helped me fight through injury um, and things like that. And the second thing is basically what, what, what sports taught me and, and how I got to where I am today is learning to take the hits, right? You're going to lose so many times. You're going to fail so many times. There's so many people who are going to be able to tell you you're not good enough uh, or you don't have what it takes. You have to believe in yourself. You have to learn how to lose. You have to learn how to bounce back. So um, there were plenty of times where I wasn't the best player on my team or I wasn't playing to, to, to my ability, but I never stopped playing. I never quit. Um, I never take the losses. I never let the losses define me. Um, and I, I never stayed down. So, uh, a lot of people think life is about winning, right? Or your, your, your career is about your end goal. And for the most part, it's the journey. Um, uh, what they don't say is how much of the journey is taking ass whoopings and, and losing yeah um and it, yeah. <laughs> literally taking hits yeah. in, in football absolutely uh, absolutely. physically and mentally emotionally absolutely but the, the sooner you can become comfortable with that the sooner you can become comfortable with pain suffering loss and defeat the easier it is to get up and the the more routine it becomes so that's been my mentality that's what i've learned on my trip and for the most part that's what has gotten me to where i am today uh, and on a side note, uh, you know, Tradell didn't talk about this, but he still continues his uh, football success on the flag football field. Man. And kills uh, it out there and then top national uh, ranked teams. It's, it's, um, he, he didn't let me play with him a couple times <laughs> just for laughs. Just for laughs. So I could, you know, he'll relive those dreams I never got. Hey, you, you played well, man. You didn't embarrass yourself. You, uh, you were a good referral for me. So I appreciate you coming out. There we go. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, you know, at the end of the, each podcast, we do a quick speed round, cool. uh, a little insight of, of, you know, who you looked up to and, and, and some memories. Uh, first question is, um, who was your uh, sports hero uh, growing up, that, uh, that, that professional athlete that was your, your number one? Oh, I'll give you three. I won't give you one. Uh, All right. Barry Sanders, Jerry Rice, and Deion Sanders. Three great choices. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, and I think I, uh, and I, people are going to probably get tired of me saying this, but um, 
Jerry Rice was uh, one of our um, uh, Mike Plank, a previous uh, podcast, nice. he brought that up. Uh, Jerry was my guy growing up. I, I wrote all my book reports on him. <laughs> um, and I had a Barry Sanders, uh, you know, who didn't at, at our age at that time, you know, Barry Sanders was the man still probably Absolutely. my favorite running back ever to watch. And I had that Jersey and I, you know, was in the street thinking I was doing the same thing. <laughs> um, what was your favorite sports memory uh, for yourself that you got to experience for myself? You know, in a game, a performance. What was a favorite performance? My favorite, my favorite performance was the first time I played against a um, FCS team. So it was University of Idaho. Um, they had just lost to USC the week before they played us. Um, so here we come, little Cal Poly showing up, flying in to basically get whooped. Uh, but I think I had six catches that day, like 154 yards and two touchdowns. Nice. Um, it just really showed me that I could excel at the, the upper levels of uh, the sport. So, again, it was really validating. And then my specific favorite moment was uh, University of Wisconsin, Camp Randall, 32 degrees, snowing, um, their senior night, so playing in front of 88,000 fans. Uh, I took a punt return and took that thing to the house, man. Uh, I will never forget that feeling. I'll never forget that stadium. I'll never forget that, that environment. That was my, like, I have arrived moment. That, that the only feeling I can relate to that is, you know, when in flag football, when I, you know, I got my touchdown in front of six, uh, six girlfriends. Um, It was one handed uh, though. It was one handed. I'll give that to you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's amazing. I can't imagine 88,000 people and, and you take it back. Uh, favorite uh, professional moment that you got to witness and, and, you know, that's your favorite moment that in the professional world doesn't, it doesn't mean you playing, but. Right, right, right. So favorite professional moment that I witnessed was. Not person, but just you could watch on yeah, TV. Yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the 49ers. Uh, whooping the Chargers in the 1994 Super Bowl. Um, hey, good oh, yeah. Oh, I, I watched that Super Bowl from, ironically, the San Diego Chargers Stadium because they showed the game on the big screen there and people came to watch it. Uh, and I was in San Diego living in a city full of Charger fans and to just watch them get absolutely ransacked oh, by the Niners. Very special moment for me. Uh, I, will, I will never forget that, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Trudeau, hey, man, I appreciate you taking time to have this conversation, you know, talk about your, your athletic journey. Um, again, thank you so much for being on and, and, you know, giving us this insight and education on what it takes to be a professional football player. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Um, again, glad to be a, a part of the process. I uh, appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at makinganathlete.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.